Don't want to work forever? Once you can cover your living expenses with passive income, your day job becomes optional and you reach financial independence. You then have complete control over your time, your money, and your life in general. Spark Rental founders Denny Suplee and Brian Davis, me, are here to help you build rental income, ditch your day job, and do what matters most to you. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode, which, like all of our episodes, was recorded live. Hey guys, Brian Davis here from Spark Rental. Super glad that you are joining us today. And I am excited to have Matt Aitchison with us today. Matt Aitchison, <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm butchering your name already. And we're only you know 10 seconds in here. But Matt has done it all. He's been a realtor. He's been a house flipper. He's a real estate syndicator, hotel operator, a sought after speaker, much more. Uh, on the real estate investing side, he's done apartment complexes, realty, retail centers, hotels, laundromats, medical plazas, single family rentals. It all begs the question, what hasn't Matt done in real estate? <laughs> so with all that said, Matt, welcome to the show. What's up, Brian? Glad to be here, man. Well, I'm, I'm super glad to have you on and to you know, have a conversation with you about you know, all the places you've been in real estate and where you're headed. Yeah, I've covered a lot of ground on the real estate investing front, and I'm sure we'll unpack a lot of that on the show today. Absolutely. So Matt, let's rewind the clock to the very beginning here and beginning of your journey with real estate. Let's talk about how you got into real estate in the first place. Yeah. So it kind of all started, the, the, the spark began when I was actually 13, 14. My mom worked in corporate America and she was just in dire straits to get out of corporate America. She actually never ended up getting out of corporate America until about 10 years into my real estate investing journey when I hired her, retired her out of corporate America, oh, wow. hired her full time as an integrator in, in, my, um, in one of my hotel companies. But in the beginning, she was taking me to real estate investing seminars when I was 13, 14. And I saw people up on stage, you know, making six figure checks. And it really was something that got me excited. Long story short, you know, that kind of got put on the shelf for a while ended up going through high school and college. And then when I graduated from college, I was interviewing for a $35,000 a year job. And I remember walking out of that interview going, this is not going to get me to where I want to go based on the goals that I'd had for myself. And I knew I wanted to be my own boss. I knew I wanted to help people in the process. Um, you know, I knew I wanted to kind of have that lifestyle freedom and that sexiness that comes along with that. But I also knew that I wanted to build wealth. I wanted to be in an industry that allowed you to build wealth along the way. And one of the only ones that, you know, checked all those boxes was real estate investing. And this was our real estate. And this was in 2010, post-financial crisis. And I was going through a Craigslist ad and I saw one of those, you know, lines on Craigslist ad, help wanted real estate investor seeks mentee. Long story short, that was really what set me on my path for real estate investing. I ended up aligning with a guy that I interned for for a year. I worked for him for a year for free, but... We flipped over 100 houses that year, and I, I was doing pretty much everything from project management to you know acquisitions to dispositions, and I learned the process of flipping, and that was you know a really great price of education, but he was clipping dollars $70,000 a flip, and I literally did not make a dime that year, and I went, <laughs> I think I can learn how to do this. I've been in this, you know, in this batter's box for a while now. I've seen a lot of pitches come, come across the plate. I think I'm ready to take a swing myself. And so long story short, I found my very first flip um, after going out for a week straight and hanging up bandit signs at three, four in the morning. Um, I got a call 
after, you know, a hundred calls of telling me to F off and get my ugly, you know, yellow sign out of their neighborhood. I got that <laughs> one call from a lady. Uh, she was the neighborhood cat lady. I'm not kidding. She had over a hundred stray cats inside of her house. A hundred? Over a hundred. Long story short, when I found a way to purchase the property, I'm using none of my own money because I was at the time 21. I had $800 to my name. I think I had about three or $4,000 in credit card debt. I was still living at home. I walked out of that kitchen table and I had a contract for $75,000 and I was doing the Tiger Woods fist pump, you know, the Aaron Rodgers discount double check. I was, I was celebrating. And then I got back into my car and I realized, oh shit, I don't have any money and I've never bought a house before. How am I going to do this? <laughs> um, at the same time, I remember what my, one of my first real estate mentors told me, which was uh, if you find a great deal, the money will follow. And from that point forward, I started shopping this deal around to anyone and everyone I could that maybe was willing to invest. And I ended up getting a, a private money lender to give me majority of the purchase price. I got a second private lender to give me majority of the construction and rehab costs and the money that was needed to pay the first lender while I was flipping it. And I ended up selling that house after paying out the first lender and the second lender, all their money and interest back. I netted over $106,000 Oh, on wow. that very first property. And that was my light bulb moment of, if I can find more great deals like this, I don't need to have the money or the experience. I just need to be confident in my ability to go out and figure it out along the way. And I think for me, that's probably been a mantra and a motto that I've lived by at every stage of my real estate investing journey is I'm just dumb enough to believe in myself and I'm smart enough to take action on my goals. And uh, that's led me into you know, from single family flipping to building a single family re rental portfolio. And I realized that that necessarily wasn't going to achieve the big goals that I have. So then I started, you know, moving into commercial real estate and buying commercial retail strip centers and medical plazas. And then and that led me into on accident buying my first hotel, which then I bought my second and my third. Um, and so it's, it's wild where if you would have told me, you know, 13 years ago, when I first started real estate investing, that I would own hotels, that I would own laundromats, that I would own apartments, that I would have done what the sequence of my journey has played out to be, I would have told you, you are crazy. But at the same time, that's the beauty of real estate investing. And that's also the beauty of taking action on your goals is when you follow those breadcrumbs and where you feel pulled and called to go and you just take action towards them and you're confident in your ability to kind of figure it out along the way, you do that. A lot of failing forward moments, don't get me wrong, but it's been a beautiful journey and I'm grateful what real estate investing has unlocked for me and my family. Yeah, you know, James Wedmore, he says, success leaves clues. And as you pointed out, you can follow those breadcrumbs to uh, what other successful real estate investors have done and follow their formulas and fail your way into success that way through trial and error. Actually, I actually have one point of clarification before we move on from that, that first deal that you did. With the second lender, did you have to give up some of the equity in that deal in order to get them to sign off on this? I did not, no. It, wow. was, un it was an unsecured promissory note and it was 10% and three points. And I ended up you know, finding that after I think 30 or 40 no's, I got somebody that finally agreed to do it. And I did not do any profit share with the first or the second position lender on that very first deal. Now, a lot of people, I would say, have to do that, right? And that's okay, too. 
on certain deals as I've gone bigger and stepped up into larger price points, needing more capital to come to the table, depending on how you got to structure the deal in order to get it across the finish line. I'm a big believer in it's always better to own a slice of a watermelon than 100% of nothing. And so if that's what you have to do to get into your first deal, that's a great way to do it. And at the same time, it's a really great way to do it in a way that one hedges your risk. And it's also a great way to build an alliance with somebody else that maybe has some of the things that you don't, whether that is experience and wisdom, whether that is resources like money or relationships, things like that. That's a great way to get into a deal that maybe you don't necessarily have the experience or the know-how to execute on, but you got something in your hand in terms of a nugget of gold that you you know has some opportunity and some value tied to it. Don't be afraid to partner with people or cut them in on the deal. Don't be greedy and cut your nose off in spite of your face just because you want to make more money. Because the beauty is by doing that, you're going to learn so much in that process. And there's going to be a real ROI long term. I'm a big believer in the crockpot mentality versus the microwave mindset. A lot of people try and get a little too greedy, try and keep a little too much. And they, you know, really prevent themselves from getting in the batter's box and getting on base and then eventually putting up runs long-term on the scoreboard. And so if that's something that you're running into, that's fine. Partner with people in the beginning. Unfortunately for myself, I didn't have to do that on that first one, but I've done that in many other capacities and in different asset classes. Oh, sure. And that's, that's really how syndications work, right? I mean, you know, people buy in for a share of the equity. And I, I love, by the way, you know, you said it took you 30 or 40 phone calls with lenders to find that one who said yes. And that tenacity and, and resilience is a critical component to success in real estate investing, I have found. Because often it is that, that 41st call that will be the yes after 40 no's. So people who say, oh, you know, I'm just going to make a few calls and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. That person is probably not going to work out <laughs> as a real estate investor. 100%. Yeah, I mean, you you really do have to be tenacious in this this industry and in this space. You know, that cliched statement is is cliche for a reason because it's true, right? If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And I went back one year when I'd flipped a very sizable amount of homes and I'd gone through with our acquisitions team and looked at all the different, you know, properties that we'd end up uh, settling on. And almost every single one of those acquisitions came after the eighth or ninth touch with that seller. So think of how many people give up after the second or the third or the fourth or even the fifth or sixth. No, let alone doing that to get to that eighth or ninth. We saw almost over 70% of our acquisitions come after that seventh or eighth or ninth touch. So, you know, persistence pays off and, and the people who have that stamina and just trust in the process and follow through with the process are usually the ones that get rewarded. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, you know, to your earlier point about not being afraid to take on partners, sometimes when you partner with somebody with experience and with connections, you know, they can reassure you along the way and say, you know, no, 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 don't give up yet. Like you're on the right track. You just need to carry this across the finish line. So 100%. I love that. Um, So, so you started flipping houses, you know, tell us about your process scaling that up uh, and especially, you know, how you went from scale or flipping single family homes 
into some of the the commercial properties that you are now involved with? Because that transition is uh, a little scary and a little intimidating for a lot of investors out there. Yeah, I mean, I know for sure was for me. I wish I would have started sooner in commercial real estate because even though it's a little bit of a different board game, you know, I kind of metaphorically compare it to chess or or Monopoly. Like the first time I ever sat down to a chess board or to play Monopoly, you don't fully understand what all the pieces do and the strategy behind it. But after you play it enough, you realize that there is, you know, a method to the madness. And just like flipping houses was, there was a method to that madness. There's the same method to the madness in different commercial real estate asset classes. And so I wish I would have went there a little bit sooner because the reason why it prompted me to go in that direction was while flipping was great and, you know, I was clipping some decent income from it. uh, At the same time, it's active income. There's nothing mailbox money about it. You're only as good as your, your last flip or your next flip. And so while it was generating some decent, um, you know, income for me, I also realized that it wasn't what was going to unlock freedom for me. It was, it was a mechanism that was ultimately giving me an option to take that income and invest it wisely to over time, unlock more freedom. And so flipping, it's a high stress and challenging space, but you get rewarded for prevailing through that. And so for me, I knew that it wasn't a long-term business model that I wanted to be in, but it was a short-term business model that was going to allow me as a stepping stone to get to the next place that I wanted to be. And so as I started, you know, flipping houses, I started using that income to go and buy single family rentals and then fourplexes. And then as I started getting in that game a little bit more on the property management and ownership side, I started seeing the financial models behind that. And I realized that the financial models behind that clipping 100, 200, 300, if you were lucky, 500 bucks a month on some of these properties based on the cash flow goals that I had for myself, it was going to take a long time to get me to where I wanted to go. And so as I started going, well, if I want to be at $500,000 a year in passive income by the time I'm 40, What's going to get me there? And this is when I was, you know, in my late 20s, now been in my 30s, you know, exercising this model. I said, if I buy one property a year that nets me, when all is said and done, nets me $50,000 a year over the next 10 years, one a year, I'll get to that $500,000 a year passive income goal. I think I can do one property a year. So then it became, well, what types of properties or asset classes net $50,000 a year when all is said and done. And as I started doing more research on that, then it became, okay, I understand what different types of commercial assets have that type of financial capacity. Then what kind of markets and what kind of, you know, lead generation strategies do I need to start to deploy in order to start getting that type of deal flow? And so that led me into finding commercial strip centers and ultimately retail, um, I'm sorry, medical plazas have been kind of my area of focus that I've gotten into. Um, and that's what I've been doing. I've been buying those one or two a year over the last handful of years to keep chipping away at that income goal. So that's what I always tell people is first and foremost, get clarity on, you know, where do you want to be, or at least what's the milestone that what's the income you want to be making annually passively and by when, because then from there you can kind of reverse engineer 
what you actually need to be doing on an annual basis to chip away at that goal. And then from there, it's setting up relationships and lead generation strategies and kind of filling in the gaps from there. But that was what led me into commercial real estate. And as I got more, you know, as I sat down at that board game and played it a little bit more, I started to get a little bit wiser and a little bit more strategic and refining certain skill sets and relationships and closing some of the gaps that I knew I had as a real estate investor there. And that's ultimately, you know, what my focus was on building passive income in real estate in the asset classes that I chose to do so in. Yeah. So I, I love what you said about setting very clear goals with a precise timeline and then reverse engineering uh, what will that take to get there? Uh, because then you can have a, a very uh, straightforward set of steps to follow to, uh, to achieve those goals, right? But you have to know exactly what you want and you have to know exactly when you want it. Uh, so tell us about that first commercial deal that you did, how you structured it, how you raised the money for it, and you know, how you financed it. Because, uh, you know, again, that's, that's something that's scary for a lot of residential investors. You know, they don't know how to go about any of that for their first commercial deal. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, first and foremost, getting clear on what you just talked about, right, is what do I want? When do I want it by? And then it's getting a plan for that. Because a lot of things that um, I know prevent people, at least for myself, uh, from taking action is a lack of clarity in what to take action on. A lot of people either one mistake movement for achievement and they get really busy working on things that aren't actually moving the needle or because of that lack of clarity, they feel overwhelmed and or there's a lot of fear that sets in. And so they just don't take action at all. And so I think if you can get clear on those things first, then get clear on the plan, then it just becomes a game of execution and, you know, building up the right schedule, starting to fill in the right resources and the right relationships. And so for me, um, I, once I was clear on what my strategy was, then I started talking to anyone and everyone I possibly could about what that was and putting people on notice of what my buy box or what my criteria was that I was looking for. And so that first commercial retail strip center that was brought to me, it was an off-market deal. It was brought to me through a broker that I had already done probably a dozen or so um, deals with in the past. And it was a motivated seller. And because I had over time built up private lenders and relationships with, um, I ended up buying that property for $900,000. And I ended, and it was probably, I was getting it at a discount. It was probably worth about 1.2 at the time. Um, I bought it for $900,000 and my private lender did 90% of the purchase price oh, wow. and they did 100% of my construction costs. So really I just had an additional 10% plus some holding costs to fill in for the down payment and anything else that I was going to need while I was kind of optimizing that property. Because my goal was, is you know, to get it stabilized, up the rents, up the condition of the property, which obviously would up the value and then go back to a traditional bank after seasoning the financials with that commercial plaza, with the new stabilized and optimized income tied to it and get a new loan that cleared out the private money first and the private money second, which has always been my model. A lot of people know that as the Burr method, right? Many people use it in different capacities. Um, and that's what I did. I up the condition of the property and invested in stabilizing, you know, all of the areas of the, the physical condition of the asset, which then allowed me to go and restructure some of the leases and fill in some of the vacancies, which then allowed me to capture more income. And in commercial real estate, um, 
if you can increase the income or what many people call the net operating income, the value that is given to commercial real estate is generally done by the net operating income divided by whatever the cap rate is that's tied to that particular asset. And so I knew that if I upped the income by a certain amount and, you know, based on that cap rate, I would force probably another 500 to $800,000 and value into that asset, which would more than cover me going back to a bank and clearing out all of the private lenders. And that's essentially what I did. I upped it, went back to a bank, got the refinance done, which was actually at a much lower interest rate than I was paying my private lenders. And the cash flow not only increased on that, but that now led me to having long-term fixed debt on this property that allowed me to hold it for the long-term. And that's what my first deal looked like. And it sounds like you no longer had any of your own money tied up in that property. Uh, so at that point, it's infinite returns, right? Correct. I had no money into that deal whatsoever. I bought it with none of my own money in the first place. And after returning all that capital back, like you said, every dollar that came back into my you know, passive piggy bank uh, was an infinite return. I love that. Uh, I'm a, a huge fan of infinite returns. Yes, uh, you and I both. <laughs> so Matt, what are you working on right now? And, and how can people connect with you and potentially invest in some of your deals? Yeah, I mean, right now, the last five years has really been more um, still, you know, acquire uh, passive income assets every year. But my, my active focus over the last five years was building, I bought my first hotel, bought my second, bought my third, um, and has been more uh, on the uh, hospitality side of things. I love, you know, the physical aspects of a real estate asset, but also the business side of, you know, a hospitality company operating within those assets and being able to create experiences and memories and really fun things. Uh, in addition to all of the normal benefits that come along with real estate. And so uh, hospitality has kind of been the world that I'm playing in and now starting to play a little bit more in the spirits and the food and beverage world all tying that into kind of my hospitality brand. Um, but for anybody that wants to connect with me, I talk all things real estate investing and wealth building on my podcast, which you're going to be on as well, uh, Millionaire Mindcast, which is a top 100 uh, business and investing podcast in the world. Um, and we have, you know, two to three episodes that launch out every single week. That's on all podcasting platforms. It's Millionaire Mindcast. So they can either go to millionairemindcast.com or uh, follow me on any of my, you know, social platforms at official Mattier is my handle. Well, I love it. Uh, and I, I'm excited to be on the Millionaire Mindcast. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great conversation. And, uh, and I, I love what you're up to. So thanks again. And we look forward to having you back soon. Thanks for having me, Brian. All right, guys. We will catch you next Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern, like every week. Uh, reach out anytime. Guys, support at sparkrunnel.com. Let us know what you want to hear about. And we will catch you on the flip side. Bye now. Did you know we offer a free eight-video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com slash learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. And we will catch you on the flip side.